Step down to the get down. All right, whenever you're ready. You're ready. Five seconds to the open. Aquarius, watch that little gimbal. We don't want you coming off in space. Booster, go. Retro, go. Vital, go fly. Guidance, transcope. Surgeon, go fly. Econ, we're going fly. GNC, we're going. Down here, go. Control, go. Go, go. FAO, we are go. Network, go. Recovery, go. Capcom, we're going fly. Launch control, this is Houston. We are going for launch. The Roman Show. With your host, Rodolfo Roman. All right, welcome back, everyone, to The Roman Show. And November is that time. The Miami Book Fair takes place. Uh, looking forward to this year. Of course, great authors come and uh, talk about their books and uh, great stuff available out there in downtown Miami, the Miami Dade um, campus in downtown Miami. And uh, we have Madeline Elias, who uh, wrote The Queen of the Court, The Many Lives of Tennis Legend Alice Marble. And Madeline, I'll be honest with you, I had to read your book to know who she was. I did not know who Alice was. Um, and this is a young lady uh, at the time that uh, an American tennis player won 13 Grand Slam championship between 36 and 1945 in singles. I mean, the list goes on and on. She was ranked number one in 1939. Uh, she's no longer with us. But it's quite amazing because, you know, Madeline, I was reading a book on uh, Jim Thorpe. And Jim Thorpe, an American Indian, uh, he played multiple sports, uh, won uh, gold medals in the Olympics. And it's just quite amazing how, you know, during that era, during that time, uh, so many achievements took place. And we don't know that. You know, people my, you know, my age, I'm, I'm late 30s, uh, and I, I did not know who Alice was. I did not know who Jim was. I had to do my own research. So kudos for you to bringing a light uh, about Miss Marble and allowing other individuals know about her. Well, thank you very, very much. I was going to say that um, I'm familiar with the Jim Thorpe book because the author, David Marinus, um, endorsed my book. Mm -hmm. And I'll be doing an event with him in Washington pretty soon. Uh, so a lot of us, there, there, there are a group of us out there who really seem to be dedicating ourselves to bringing back to life people who are forgotten. And in some cases, we're attracted to writing about sports legends. Mm -hmm. I uh, have written two books about sports this is, or that have sports as part of their theme. This is the second one. And I love going through that prism of athletics to tell stories that are larger than just about the sport itself. And in the case of Alice Marble, uh, she was born in 1913, died in 1990. So her life basically spanned the 20th century. And I feel that her life in its own way is a history of that century as experienced by a woman who at one point was the center of the world, the it girl, you know, more famous than Seabiscuit the horse during the depression, or at least as famous. Wanted friends with movie stars, uh, glamorous, designed a clothing line, this and that, wrote a memoir, wrote another memoir, worked for a magazine. But as time went on, she faded from the limelight. So I was also interested in, I would say, the final half or third of her life when she was sort of a regular civilian woman, single, making do at a time when opportunities for women were, in fact, extremely limited. Well, you know, when you talk about achievement from women, I mean, you, you, you know, we talk about now the, the Williams sisters now, but Alice Marble, I'm sure she, you know, she paved the way for women like the Williams. And 
writing this book uh, for you as an author, you know, in what way do you think it would inspire the youth, women, of course, young ladies, uh, but even men, right? Because uh, we, we learn from each other as human beings. I agree that um, we do learn from each other as human beings and gendering everything isn't helping anything. <laughs> um, uh, the, Alice Marble was, according to Billie Jean King, the first female sports activist. I don't think she was necessarily the first sports activist. I can't say that. But she argued for equal pay back mm. in the 30s and 40s. Hmm. Uh, she argued for her own money. When she was As an amateur, she wasn't paid anything over the table uh, to play tennis. And the under-the-table payments were often in the form of nice hotel suites and a wardrobe of clothing, this and that. She didn't make a lot of money, even though she was the greatest player in the world at the time, greatest female player in the world at that time. But um, she fought for money for women. She uh, thought that uh, it was unfair, the, 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 the status that women held in, in terms of professional sport, particularly tennis. But probably of all the arguments that she made publicly, the most cogent and the most lasting, the one that really created immediate change that has uh, been in effect since then, was in 1950. She was writing for a magazine called American Lawn Tennis, which dedicated itself to the betterment of tennis everywhere in the world. And uh, that, that was the whole focus of the magazine. It was a fairly slick, well-produced magazine, well-edited, uh, thoughtfully uh, presented. She was a columnist for it, and she wrote a column arguing that the, the, the United States Lawn Tennis Association Committee that was refusing to allow blacks to play at the national level in what was then called the, the nationals, not the U.S. Open, uh, were, were all wrong. And the essay that she wrote, which is about a little over a thousand words, I guess, is the most beautifully, it's a beautifully argument, argued piece of writing because it appeals to uh, the, you know, maybe the lower instincts, this might be good for tennis, to the higher instincts, this is good for everybody, don't be, don't be idiots. <laughs> but she got the committee to listen to her. And in 1950, two years after baseball was integrated, tennis opened its doors at the highest level to uh, players in the American Tennis League, which were, which was the separate and not necessarily equal, but very talented black league. Um, and the they arranged, the tennis committee kind of gave but didn't give totally. They said, well, the highest ranking man and women in that league is allowed to automatically participate in the nationals from here on in. The reason they allowed it to be automatic was they didn't want these people playing in the qualifying tournaments because that would have caused an uproar at various facilities that didn't really want to integrate and didn't want to welcome these players. That put the black players at a disadvantage because nothing's more important when you're playing tennis than these qualifying matches. When you get to see what your opponent is like, you get to find out what their weaknesses are, what their strengths are, you get to know what you are as you play against them. So the black players were welcomed at the Nationals, but not entirely welcomed in the preliminaries leading up to it. But 1950, because of the editorial she wrote, Althea Gibson got to play. And she was welcomed. There are other players, like Alice Marble, her peers and colleagues, extended 
from their point of view, a warm welcome. She did okay in 1950, but in 1951 she won, and in 1957 Althea Gibson won Wimbledon. And that win and her performance as a tennis player really is what a lot of people say paved the way to eventually the Williams sisters and so many others now. So with this said, I mean, the research, the time, how long did it take you to put this, this, this piece of work together? And, you know, did you work with the family member of Miss Alice? And tell me a little bit about that. It, uh, it was a lot of research, mm-hmm. uh, a lot more than I expected for a couple of reasons that I'll go into later. But uh, basically, um, Dave Miranis, the guy who wrote the Jim Thorpe book, said, always tells journalists if they're starting a project that their first line order of business is to go there mm-hmm. so after i did some preliminary research finding out about alice marble i decided i would just it was very important for me to physically go to her places so i went to san francisco uh, where she was born and even went to her childhood home i went there on a, a rainy day in january 9 uh, 2000 and, um 2017 and saw a sign outside her house that said Alice Marble, beautiful sign. So it was clear to me that the owners of it would welcome someone who was interested in her. And indeed, I made a cold call. I knocked on the door and I was admitted to the house. <laughs> uh, the owner uh, runs wine tours in the Napa Valley and is, he's a, a Japanese American man with his wife. Uh, they had slippers by the door. They poured tea for me. They showed me memorabilia they had about Alice. But what was interesting, what stuck with me more than anything, was the man said to me, he said, you know, it's an honor to live in this house. She did a great deal of good in this world. As a result, this house is filled with a good spirit. So I took those words and used them as one of my mantras as I was doing my research that there's a good spirit there. In Alice Marble, there was something good that I should try to capture. Um, then I went, I went to, uh, uh, to Palm, Palm Desert, which is where Alice Marble spent the final third of her life. I went to Wimbledon for a week or two, went to the library and hung out at the facility to get a sense of England uh, in the late 30s through some research that I did there and what Wimbledon was like back in the day. Wow. Uh, I went to the Newport International Hall of Fame. So I did travel around quite a bit to do the, to do the research, but I also you went through um, lots of uh, old newspapers to get a sense of what uh, how, how she was covered in, by the press and what the times were like. And that was actually absolutely fascinating. I love newspapers, so going through old newspapers was not in any way onerous. Now, you're appearing on uh, Sunday, November 19th, 3 p.m. The room is going to be 2106. What can uh, the members of the public anticipate this as one-on-one um, appearance uh, at the Miami Dade uh, uh, book fair? Uh, what can they anticipate from my panel? Yeah. Or from the yeah. Mm-hmm. Fear in general. Yeah, from your panel. Oh, uh, well, I'll be with three other people, and uh, we've been asked to say a few words about our own work, and also we've been asked to interact with each other to make it more lively, which um, I agree with. Having been a college professor for many years, I think one of my few gifts in life is um, I know how to run a panel. I won't be running this one, but it will be, I hope, 
a conversation between uh, among uh, four people who have books out that are touch on sports in some way and uh, touch on people who've been kind of solo heroes in their in their own way. Well, Madeline, I want to thank you so much. We want to, we don't want to give away too much uh, about the book, uh, but it's available for purchase now. Of course, you'll be able to buy it there at the book fair uh, in uh, Miami. Ms. Madeline, we thank you so much for your time, and we look forward to having you here in uh, in Miami very soon. Thank you, Mr. Rodolfo, and I, I really appreciated this time with you. Thank you.